Three, two, one. Who is your favorite fearless hero? Obviously, the answer is Adam from Your Movie Sucks. This is Sardonicast. Hello, everybody. Uh, we've got someone else here. Hello. Yeah, my answer would be Black Adam. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Huh? I'm Alex from RHE, and uh, no Ralph today. Mm-hmm. No Ralph, I'm afraid. It happens. Yeah, it happens to the best of us. Scheduling mm-hmm. conflicts and all that. It's cool that The Rock saved the DC universe, is what I've been hearing. Definitely <laughs> didn't let kneecap it. Saved. Well, for, from what I've seen, he's destroyed it single-handedly. Yeah. <laughs> so we're seeing different. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how everyone's throwing him under the bus now. Now everybody's trying to like look at someone to blame for something that, like, did they... Did they announce that they were restructuring after the release of Black Adam or what? Like, was Black Adam even a part of I'm that? Pretty sure it was, I'm pretty sure Black Adam had been around for like a month or two, right? It had been out. It had been released. Okay. Like, that, that story was over. Yeah. So, if anybody's confused, The Rock refused to have Zachary Levi, I think, in in an, a post credit scene with him for Black Adam because he's like, no, I'm the star. You can't have like another superhero yeah yeah this gets like insanely confusing because it like it's already a big thing of like comic books to have like crossover events and all this stuff so then but then you get into the specific like politics of each movie and like the beefing of the actors and yeah so i guess like the rock because he idolizes superman above everything would not budge on yeah showing up or having shazam be a part of black adam even though I, th- I think we talked about this on a previous episode, like <laughs> Black Adam is Shazam's like main villain, so that's there's just something really like egotistical about that. <laughs> I don't really, yeah, that, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's weird to not, yeah, in the context of the comics. Then okay, I didn't even consider that recently because I forgot about it because I just don't give a shit about these things. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. No, no one actually gives a shit about Shazam and Black Adam. You know, like it was—it's not like they're Superman or Spider Man. There's like a couple fans out there that are so hurt that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, we gotta be real at a certain point. Like, it's Shazam. It's not a house. It's not Superman. It's not a household name. It's like, why are you having such an egotistical ownership over a villain that like people don't even really know? You know. <laughs> It is it is amusing just what fame can do to a person and just, you know like just, mm. just how do you become that much of a narcissist? Yeah, I think it just changes you into a different being, yeah. a different type of human like yeah, you're just no longer you can no longer exist in the real world. You yeah, you're just something else. I think it's a combination of him being the highest paid actor in Hollywood and him only really just raising his eyebrow as acting, <laughs> you know. Like there's, there's, there's a bit of like, yeah, yeah. it's not from his talent. <laughs> so you have to create no, stories yeah. in your head about how you're the best, probably. <laughs> like maybe I, I'm just overanalyzing, but I, I think if he was a more talented actor, then he might not ha- have to put up those weird like psychological. Yeah. No, because it seems to, <laughs> it seems like he justifies his like acting prowess with the success of his movies, you know, yeah. he, like, loves flaunting the numbers or, and that's why, especially like when a movie doesn't do how it was projected Baywatch. to do, he gets like extra sensitive about it. <laughs> yeah. Baywatch or bragging about how, uh, 
a giant ape movie rampage is like the number one video game movie of all time and then make it like coping about black adam it's like yeah there is like something quite insecure despite despite this image he's putting out there yeah (laughs) it's It's so weird because you think that like if you're at the very top you wouldn't be so insecure but then you just i don't know you look at someone like elon musk and it's like oh <laughs> yeah, maybe it's, it's that's the opposite. That's just part of the like, course. Yeah. How does this happen? Like, it's it's difficult to empathize with. Yeah, you know? I thought I was in Crazy Town with The Rock. Like, I've I've always felt that way about him. Like, he's not like good in any of these movies. I don't really understand why he's like a big movie star. Like, you know, with your Tom Cruises or whatever, I I, I get it a bit more. You know, there's like a catalog of films you can point to, but yeah, with him, it's only recently it started to. <laughs> seem to kind of turn around because he's just what he's just he's memed as the guy who's he's in jungle movies that, yeah that's his niche <laughs> they just keep doing it it's so weird i wonder like i wonder how much of that sort of thing happening is an intentional typecasting like oh this movie was successful let's also have him in the jungle or if it just naturally happens that way because you know people people's brains just aren't as creative as yeah, they think they are yeah i guess he's inherently limited with that whole like how strict they are with projects like you don't want to be too villainous of a character you don't want to do something too risky that might hurt your like brand your image so yeah maybe it's just like boxed him into these just carbon copy movies mm-hmm. yeah Poos in boots was a film that we watched oh yeah how do you like it this was a surprise for me I don't know. DreamWorks has been okay as of late, like the bad guys and whatnot. It was, it was all right. It was cool. <laughs> but, but, but this, like, th- that's what was notable about that movie. It was like visually, like something a little bit different, kind of aping this Spider Verse kind of. Oh, we're allowed to be crazy and way more cartoony and not limited by the gross, horrible DreamWorks curse from the kind of monsters versus aliens era. Yeah, <laughs> where just everything is grotesque and has to be. Like photorealistic is what we're going for, and all the textures have to be real. And it's none of that anymore. Now we're like confident to have these crazy, colorful animated movies again. And yeah, in Spider Verse instead. And yeah, what a what an awesome, creative, uh, like fun return to this like Shrek universe. Like this is just an improvement in every way on that that previous Puss movie. It, like found like a an angle to explore. Like yeah, what a surprise. I just don't even want to acknowledge that other Puss in Boots movie. You know, I'm glad they didn't call it Puss in Boots 2. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that no one, you know, like if someone doesn't know that the first one exists, that's probably for the better. Because then otherwise yeah. you might feel obligated like, oh, I won't know what's happening in the story. But it, it's it's not really related. It doesn't really matter. You don't need to watch the first one. No, it might actually just make your experience worse because you you have seen something so good from The Last Wish and then go back and be like, oh. Like this sucks in comparison. This yeah. like is, yeah, this adds nothing. Depending on the order you watch it in, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it might make the last wish even better if you watch the other one first. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I wasn't that sold on it from the way it was advertised in the trailers and whatnot. Because no. obviously, yeah, it didn't look that great, and they were like playing up like the comic relief character, and yeah, I just didn't know what it was going for. But then I saw after it was released like on twitter someone was sharing that it's like an action scene towards the beginning of the movie like a rooftop action scene that's like attack on titan more mm-hmm. than anything yeah <laughs> like puss like bounding around it's like oh 
this is this is different. Like there's there's absolutely nothing even remotely close to that in that uh previous Puss in Boots yeah. movie. But yeah, it seems to have completely reinvented itself and it's like it has this huge fandom now and this this wolf character everyone's uh Oh yeah. Uh, obsessed it, all the furries wanna and... fuck the wolf. <laughs> the <death laughs> yeah, wolf. exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there's there's more than one great character in addition, and even that that Chihuahua character, I was kind of worried about from the advertising yeah. and the marketing. I, f- I figured that would be the like, yeah, that's the baby character that like brings the tone down and keeps it so. There's just kind of a, 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 a constant reminder of the annoying like kiddiness, but like yeah. the comedy, the comedy really like holds it all together. It's like it's genuinely like funny and witty, kind of in the way those original Shrek movies were, but in a little bit of a different way. And even with that character existing, I think that I was surprised that the the kind of heart elements of, of the film, like the so, something that would normally be perceived as sappy if it was just not handled correctly, it, it managed to mm-hmm. fit itself in well with the movie and with the characters. And yeah, it didn't feel inappropriate. And it, and it actually hit those emotional beats pretty well. Yeah, they did some like unexpected stuff with um, like they gave Puss like anxiety, and then like mm-hmm. <laughs> really leaned into that and uh, like display it in one of the more like accurate ways I've seen like panic attacks and things like this depicted in a movie before. Uh, yeah, and the way that they like handle that and it doesn't like overpower anything or feel like forced. It like it all makes sense and feeds into like Puss's arc in the movie where he's like. He's running away. Yeah. From yeah, this this like inner conflict basically he's exploring and his his final life. I, I really like that montage towards the beginning where it's like going through all of his Oh yeah. The times he's died at that kind of edge to it. And yeah, it was like really likable and charming and like, yeah, bringing back that kind of early two thousands edge that like that Shrek universe was kind of known for. Yeah, yeah. There was some kind of fun edgy <laughs> moments like the, all those sensor yeah. bleeps were kind of just a fun thing yeah, to yeah, add yeah. to the movie just not expecting stuff like that yeah you don't expect it in the context of a movie that's presumably for kids you know mm-hmm. it does bring a little extra fun humor to it that just doesn't feel infantilizing yeah the animation style and not not just the like textures just being kind of like i guess lower uh <laughs> what's the word lower lower detail than usual like there there is an element mm-hmm. of it where it's like okay well you can save maybe a bit of money based on how you present the film right if you don't do it in like a traditional just yeah. like oh this is pixar we're trying to compete with pixar sort of movies right mm-hmm. so there is a financial element to it but as long as you're conscious of the style and as long as you're utilizing it in the correct way like the the frame rate and how especially it's used in the action scenes and there's like um, those uh, speed lines or motion lines. I don't know what the mm-hmm. actual term is for it, but you know what I'm talking about. And I think I think the one element of it that I didn't see as many people talking about, but is very apparent for me and very important to the film for me, is the use of color. All the scenes are very yeah. colorful. There's like entirely different palettes for each setting and it's always kind of changing and going somewhere new and it's just all all these it's i i love the way that everything visually looks in terms of like a a palette Mm -hmm. yeah really great lighting and use of color especially 
It's very, very aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, that's what was so painful about the whole like dedication to the photorealism that was kind of, we're only just escaping from the past. Yeah. <laughs> 10, 15 years where it's like, man, you can do so much more Yeah, with the color, with the, just breaking things down. Like I, I have seen a couple of complaints about the kind of frame rate change stuff, but personally I love that, especially when it does come to action because it just highlights kind of weight and motion in a particular way that I find really kind of- What are the complaints? Just that like in action scenes when the frame rate is changing, you know, just like in Spider-Verse or just like in, yeah, the more crazy scenes in this movie where it is fluctuating. I don't see why that's an issue personally because I think it just stylistically makes sense and flows well. Here's the thing with the, the frame rates changing in the action scenes is from what I understand in this movie, it's not the base frame rate of the actual product that you're seeing like the the camera's frame rate doesn't change it's just specific no. characters within the frame rate that are changing unlike avatar where it seemed like the entire <laughs> yeah like like no, they, stylistic they thing, exported yeah. a product a project and then <laughs> separate scenes were exported at a different frame rate that was fucking distracting that was like okay what's happening like i was way too consciously aware of that whereas in puss in boots it was it was complimenting not only it was complementing certain scenes because it was being used consistently in the context of those scenes, like specifically with action. And also the entire mm -hmm. frame rate wasn't changing. It was just certain it was certain elements of what you're seeing on screen having the frame rate change. Right. It just it wasn't distracting to me. And I wasn't really being fully conscious of it as I was watching it. It's just one of those things that like, you know, I wind up trying to think more about after the fact because it's something that worked well. Not, oops, yeah. you're reminding me it's a movie and I can't get into it. And I, why is this happening? Like, I didn't find myself confused by any of it, like Avatar 2. Yeah, it seems so intentionally stylistic and not in the way that, like, James Cameron is trying to justify that 60 frame fluctuation thing as a yeah, stylistic thing. Like, it, <laughs> like, it, like it, it does just straight up change the way, like, you don't have to rely on slow motion or other types of tricks if you're weighting the character this way. And it's what, like, animation allows you to do. And. Again, it's yeah. probably something they, they're they aping a little bit from Spider-Verse or whatever. They did the exact same thing. That was like another intentional stylistic choice where they animated Miles, I think, at half the frame rate as uh, like other characters to kind of highlight her, you know, how he's learning, how he's not really put together. It makes him a bit more mm -hmm. shuddery. And yeah, so yeah, that was one of the things I actually liked about it. I, th I think the wackier and crazier more, the less things holding them back, especially in these animated movies, the happier I am altogether. Because I think you were saying in one of your recent videos where like these, especially these like, these, like Disney slash Pixar projects, they're like kind of blurring into this just like one mush of like characters yeah. kind of look the same. There's like, yeah, very similar kind of palettes and... Yeah, that just gets so like boring and tiring after a while. I'm glad this is opening new doors and even, I don't know, I guess spoilers, but they were like teasing Shrek movies yeah. and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that, that was trying like, to say. <laughs> they yeah. were just reminding us that they're in the same universe, I guess. I don't know. But like at the end, right? Isn't there like a direct tease for like... Kind of. seems like they were... We're going back to Shrek now. We're doing it, everyone. We, it could happen. I have no idea what's going on. Isn't there going to be like a Shrek remake? Like, what's the what was the last news that a Shrek remake? I thought they were doing like a Shrek sequel. I thought they were like rebooting it or some shit. They're doing a Shrek reboot. I don't know. 
<laughs> I thought I heard some stupid shit like Illuminations making Shrek now. Like I don't. It could have just been a dream. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's probably just because I think Universal owns both of them, right? They own oh. Illumination and DreamWorks now. So, mm-hmm. really great use of characters and just how they interact with each other and their dynamics. It doesn't feel. Again, you were mentioning the you know comic relief character, if that's what we want to call him. It doesn't feel unnecessary. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like thrown in. It feels like, oh, okay, you're a piece of the puzzle. You're part of the, yeah. You're a part of the product here, which is really nice. And I also want to mention the, the there seems to be a difference in kind of how faces express themselves in this animation style compared to the other Shrek movies. Mm-hmm. It seems a bit like teetering on the edge of. Of like exaggerated to the point where it might get like too goofy, but I, I think it's just hitting that perfect sweet spot where you look at you you look at the characters' faces as they're being animated, and there's there is something a bit more. It, it's 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 a bit the, the dial is turned up in terms of the exaggerated nature of the facial expressions in like a specific yeah. look or a specific emotion. But it works really well. Yeah, it just kind of pops more. But yeah, that might be yeah, a just a, a use of those colors as well, like with the just like how uh, stark like the characters' eyes are. Everyone has like yeah eyes that pop, and it, mm-hmm. just with the motion and the way they frame everything, like it yeah, it does just pop way more, especially yeah. when contrasting with those older DreamWorks projects for sure. Yeah, now here's the question. Would would the next Shrek movie be in this style? <laughs> uh, I was just thinking that because I can't really imagine it. I can't imagine them doing it as much as maybe I'd like to see it. The style really lends itself well to the main character being kind of like an action fucking, mm-hmm. you know, Zorro <laughs> character, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a part of it. Like it, the style lends itself to that. and it, it, But that's not what Shrek is. So... I don't know what you would do there. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah, would it be odd to just go back to the kind of photorealistic goo sludge? Like maybe that would be like a fun way cuz they were, you know, the, the the Shrek content farm was getting tired by the end there. Like they need something to mix up that franchise, maybe something visual is what they need. Mhm. Yeah. So have you seen the trailer for the new ten, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing? I have, yeah. 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 So, it kind of seems like Spider-Verse has changed the playing field a bit, and it seems like there's a lot of things now trying to kind of emulate that style, but being, like, I, I guess still distinct enough that it's not so the same, but... Do you know what I'm saying? It seems like it's now becoming almost a trend. And when that happens, not everything that comes out is going to be pure. (laughs) You're going to get some things that kind of miss the point. The Ninja Turtles movie might be one of them. We'll see. (laughs) I didn't really find the trailer to be that great. Yeah, I can can feel it already becoming like a question of, oh, man, God, that didn't take long for that that trend to start becoming just like, oh, it's just like a dime a dozen thing now. It's just, (laughs) I know it's not not really unique anymore, but. Yeah, we're getting superhero fatigue already, you know? 
Yeah, it's finally, sort of like I guess. So shaded uh, CG <laughs> fatigue. <laughs> yeah. So is Spider Verse still your favorite? If we're going to compare that and Puss in Boots, uh, of these, yeah, I think so. Okay. I think yeah. I think coming after that, because it is so, it is definitely inspired by how kind of frank that Spider Verse movie was, and people just weren't expecting it at that time from that mm-hmm. movie. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't personally expecting really anything from that film, so it was kind of more surprising. But I, yeah, I just think the writing is better in that movie. In Spider Verse, okay. it works. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think overall it's just better. Yeah, I, I like Puss in Boots a lot more. Yeah. I respect Spider-Verse a lot for its style, but yeah, just the whole thing didn't work as well for me. Some weird. Yeah, it really is. I do have to shout out that comedy, though, like the, the timing of everything. There's some really funny characters, like going mm-hmm. back to the what made Shrek so funny, where it was like parodying Disney slash these fairy tales and just bringing out these random characters like that. Jack Horner, who John Mulaney plays, yeah. like I wasn't sure like where they were going to take that, but that, he winds up being one of the funnier characters. Just what they do with him is, yeah, it's got like a good ensemble and yeah, yeah. I was just really surprised by how good and put together it was, and just yeah, nice and brief and yeah, you just wouldn't want anything more or less. I'm glad that he wasn't the only real villain, sort of thing. I'm, it, it, you know, in concept, you would almost yeah. expect like, oh, this would get too bloated, like. It's, Spider-Man 3, Raimi sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But each villain kind of serves its purpose in this movie. And I like that we got one that was, you know, for comedic effect. And even though they were like kind of a threat, you don't really take them too seriously. They're kind of pathetic. Yeah. And like Death Wolf is just like, okay, that's actually kind of scary. (laughs) Like there's, there's some real consequences here. There's implied danger and fear. Like, it's the, the lighting and color and, and the sound design going into those scenes is like, okay, it's actually trying to evoke some real emotion here. It's actually yeah. trying to make you feel like kind of scared, which is cool. I, I like no, it is. movies that do that, that aren't afraid to make people feel emotions. It's like, what's the fucking goal of art, right? Yeah, yeah. So exactly. many movies out there are just fucking pussies. <laughs> they don't want to show them emotion. <laughs> oh, we don't want Puss the kids to get scared. Oh, yeah. we don't we don't want you to feel bad if a character dies in like a fucking horror movie. You gotta make, you know, I've talked about this shit all the time. Like, what is the yeah, point yeah. of art? Feel something. I want to feel something. And I'm glad that this movie wasn't afraid to do that. So, yeah. No, that was, yeah, that was such a great character for that. And for how little he's in the movie, like the presence that character leaves is like, man... It's, it's that yeah. great thing of like, yeah, you're given just enough where it's like not too little, but you're left like wanting much more of it, but you don't necessarily like need it. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I, <laughs> it's one of, it's one of those movies that's just like so good that I'm like, fuck, the sequel's going to suck, isn't it? You know, what are they going to do from here? It's good enough to be successful yeah. that they're going to want to replicate that success. But I, you know, like the second Lego movie was kind of shit, <laughs> right? Like it's just not going to happen the same yeah, way. Yeah, true. Yeah, I remember nothing about it. Yeah, I can't remember anything about it. Yeah, ninety million dollars budget, grossing four seven five worldwide. Cool. So, yeah, that's pretty good. The fact it's under a hundred million now because yeah, that was that was just kind of the standard budget like in the two thousand tens for these. So it's weird to see it start finally going down, but them actually look better. Yeah, yeah. I, it's crazy how much money people spend making things look worse. Like, go fuck yourself. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. 
where it's like, okay, that didn't need to be CG. That cost more money. It looks worse. Fucking like M. Night shooting his handheld home video shot by children found footage movie with like fucking red cameras and like huge rigs like yeah, you're, yeah. Ma- you're making it look worse it's less authentic you asshole why are you spending uh, more money making it look worse i hate it just happens all the time it's just a it's just a thing people do it's, yeah it's like a real common pitfall in cinema for some reason like getting lost down technology yeah and just like yeah losing the plot down that yeah losing the plot exactly um, yeah, I really loved this movie. That's best animated movie. I've, well, animated kids movie I've seen in a long, long time. I think really eight out of 10. Great surprise. I'd watch it again in a heartbeat. It's, uh, I got the 4k Blu-ray, so maybe I will. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. This is a, a high, uh, eight out of 10, four star. Yeah. Really surprised by this. Glad to see DreamWorks whip this one out. Hopefully they can continue this momentum into their other projects. Although the, I saw the trailer for their, like, it's like a little mermaid parody or something. I, I don't know. Doesn't look as good as this, but yeah, check out Puss. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. That looks like shit. I guess. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Just like Disney, I guess they, they release a lot of projects like yearly, but yeah. not everyone's going to hit in the same way. Okay, sweet. We also saw Shazam. We were talking about The Rock. Maybe we should have talked about that one first. It would have been a better segue, but whatever. Oh, yeah. No, bring him back. Yeah. Fury of the Gods. Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Mm. Directed by our best friend, David F. Sandberg. Yeah. <laughs> Who's been That's on the pal, podcast. David. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, it's so weird. People are shitting on this movie really hard, and I don't think it's a bad movie. They are. I don't think it's a bad movie. I had a pretty positive experience of it. I don't think it's bad, but I don't think it's really like good either, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just felt. I just kind of felt sorry for this movie. Like, that was like my biggest takeaway. Like every, it's been Same. delayed like two or three times. All of DC has been announced to be being restructured, as we mentioned earlier. So mm-hmm. like, it doesn't even have that going for it. Like you know, at least these new MCU movies, they get the boost of like, oh, it's the new one in that universe I care about. This doesn't even really have that going for it. Yeah, it just there was nothing about it that left me thinking. Yeah, that was like that was a good Shazam scene. That was making the most of this like dynamic they've been building on. It was basically for me elaborating on all of my least favorite parts of that original Shazam movie, which I quite liked. It had like a heart. It was cute. Mm -hmm. Uh, It kept the scale like just right. It had like a menacing villain. But yeah, I just wasn't really feeling it with this one. I feel feel like it was getting bogged down with a lot of the typical kind of sequelitis problems you'd expect from uh, these big kind of bloated superhero movies. Where where do you feel like it is in terms of its place in DC films? (laughs) You know? Yeah, that's a good question. This is is (laughs) a lot better than most DC films, for sure. And I enjoyed this more than a lot of Marvel films that I've watched, honestly. And I I get that, like, in the grand scheme of things, like, everybody's seen every superhero movie. Like, everybody's seen at least 20 superhero movies. And so we're at this weird part where, like, this weird point in time where people are finally getting superhero fatigue. And I think it is, you know, partially due to a combination of just how many people have seen and also... As you mentioned, they're restructuring the universe, and then this is also like kind of a sequel. It's not as strong as the as the first one. It's just it's not it's, a character people will go and jump rush out to see anyway. Yeah, you know? it, and it's yeah, it's not a strong like property before the movies came out, and so 
it's trying to exist in this weird space <laughs> where I do also feel bad <laughs> for the movie. It's like, okay, this is, it's, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of got a handicap just trying to exist here. And also you can tell by watching it, you know, like there was a vision mm. of what it wanted to be and other people came in and kind of were, were uh, tweaking it de- and yeah. being like, no, yeah, you, should, you know, no. so there, there's, there's things about it that worked, but def- definitely there's some micromanaging that came in from other. Uh, <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. No, it is weird the way they placed it. Cause like what Shazam was 2019. Mm-hmm. So what was four years later, we're bringing out this sequel and that original Shazam, $100 million budget, worldwide gross of $367 million. So it's not, it wasn't like it was the biggest movie. So I don't really know what they were even anticipating by releasing this, especially so late, and then the way they did. Yeah. Yeah, this just really didn't move the needle. It just, and, and just from the beginning, it looked like it was just kind of being released to die. I think it's going on HBO Max in like a month or something. I think it's going to be on there in April already. Yeah, like, wh- what did you like about this? Because uh, for me, like, the heart of it was, and the best part of that first movie was the dynamic between Shazam, the main character, and, and the kid with the crutch. Like, that, mm-hmm. that that was the heart to me. That was the best dynamic. Like, when they're, like, working together, making their fun little, like, YouTube videos and that kind of candid thing. Keeping it small scale, like, fun, and really playing up that kid angle. But then, yeah, here it's more... It just seems more like a generic superhero affair. You know, it's like there's the bridge action scene at the beginning with the entourage of, like, six supermen flying around... And like, I, I didn't really like the, the supporting cast in that first movie is so like cartoony and just nothing to me. Then they weren't like enough of a foundation. They don't really get fleshed out or properly utilized in this film, despite them still existing as an ensemble. That would be like one of my biggest criticisms is like, you, you don't really feel like all of the char- characters are necessary and there's a lot of them. You feel like most of them are kind of just hanging yeah. out. <laughs> and it's like a, a movie that's over two hours. But so you say, you say like, okay, yeah, there's like the generic bridge scene, you know, of like, okay, the, uh-huh. there are things for sure in this movie that are on the checklist of like, okay, we're creating a superhero film. But what I'd like to point out is all these other superhero movies that I've seen that I would be able to like pluck out, like, okay, another bridge scene from another movie, they take themselves a lot more seriously than this. And there's something about the tone and the way that the characters kind of handle themselves around these action scenes that I do connect with in the same way that I connected with the first Shazam movie. So, you know, even even though the first Shazam film exemplified a lot of these things a lot better these things that I like, it was still there in this movie. It it wasn't like completely absent where like the entire thing was all this serious, like, Oh, this is about the politics between Iron Man and Captain America. And it's so important (laughs) that they have the, like a lot of other superhero movies take themselves so seriously. And I felt like, I felt like this had a good tone where I wasn't feeling either infantilized or insulted, you know? And I, I, if, if we're talking about purely the plot and I guess my, investment in what was happening in the universe like the what happens in this film mm-hmm. it's not great i don't care <laughs> like i don't care in any of the superhero movies that i watch right so i was i was mm. judging it more just i i guess the uh scene by scene experience i was having of whether or not i was entertained whether or not i gelled with the humor and i i did for the most part you know like i think that the movie was well shot there's something about 
how the scenes are shot in this movie, especially compared to other superhero films, where th- there's something about like just the way that the camera kind of flows and moves. And it's not present in every scene. There are definitely scenes, especially some of the dialogue scenes, where I'm like, okay, that was cut really short for no reason. But as I'm watching, mm-hmm. I never got the impression like, oh, yeah, that was like uh, due to there not being enough footage in that scene. It, it really felt like just there's so many different people working on it. There's so many different pieces. There's so many different cogs. And you can't really have a singular voice controlling all of these things just because of the nature of this huge yeah. budget superhero studio machine and so i'm watching the film being like oh man like the intent of that part was a bit better than how it came out you know (laughs) like for certain Mm -hmm. parts and i'm like ah and so it's it's almost difficult to judge at certain points but i i do feel like i do really feel like a voice is still present in the film and that's what i love about watching films is being able to pick out a voice from the director and be able to see what they're offering in terms of their own style and personality. And I saw that. And even though there was bullshit in this movie, it shined through the bullshit. It shone. What's the fucking word? It shines through the bullshit in right. many scenes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was still able to feel it. I was still able to get it. And that's what I enjoyed about it. Okay. Yeah. Cause what you're describing and what you're saying right now just makes me think of that original movie. That's how I felt about the first Shazam. Mm-hmm. Where it was like a bit of a surprise in it this was, landscape. Oh, yeah, of all for, these, like, sorry. I didn't mean to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's but that's kind of my issue with this movie is that it doesn't really to me it doesn't excel in any in any space that would make it span stand out in this just plethora of superhero movies we've got, you know, like yeah, it does the jokes, it's got the kind of bit of self-aware reference humor, but like it's not as funny as Deadpool or the Guardians of the Galaxy movies to me. I would say it's funnier than Deadpool, but I kind of hate the humor in Deadpool. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, I don't like Deadpool either, but I'm just thinking in terms of that, you know, you're kind of parodying the silliness of superheroes and prodding at it and the self-aware kind of dialogue and Deadpool did do that me. first and popularize it. There were, there were like a couple attempts at humor in this movie that didn't gel with me, but for the most part, I like, I, there were some genuine laughs. There were some fun <laughs> scenarios. Like, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, I'm so indifferent on that note specifically. Like I, I didn't find it like laugh out loud funny particularly, but I wasn't really annoyed. I was only really annoyed as far as that stuff's concerned with the, uh, it's the thing just WB loves doing with their property. They just love referencing other WB properties, referencing Lord of the Rings, referencing Game of Thrones, referencing just all this stuff they have, characters in their own universe and whatnot. It just gets really, that's just like a pet peeve I have with this kind of content at this point. But yeah, but then that's another thing, like, just going beat by beat comparing with that original Shazam movie. I thought the villain was like, just it was everything it needed to be in that mm-hmm. first Shazam movie. Like it wasn't deep, but it did have like the peril aspect. It had those, what was it? The, uh, they were like the seven deadly sins kind of like monsters or whatever mm-hmm. that would like smoke that would go around and they, yeah, they're kind of creepy and horrifying. Yeah. It was all it needed to be. But here we've got this kind of, they're like these Greek goddess type characters who are like, they're not like comic book characters. Apparently, I know nothing about Shazam, so mm. I had to read about this after. They're original, made up for this movie. Okay, because I guess the the the, the Shazam like character roster is not that's funny, <laughs> not the biggest <laughs> slash greatest. So that they already jumped uh, <laughs> to this. Take it from a different superhero. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got a side note that this in here because uh, 
I, I needed to ask if you n- knew this about this fucking character. But Shazam, like, in the comics, apparently, his, like, best friend is a is a talking, like, tiger who walks around in a suit. Wow. Called Mr. Talky Tawny. Okay, um, I have to look up. Mis- How do you just, spell it? I, Mr. Talky Tawny? <laughs> look, I'll put in the Discord chat a link okay, to, like, the, okay. the search, and you'll see. <laughs> I just thought... <laughs> I saw that like in the trivia. Oh god, it's spelled so weird. T A W K Y T A W N Y. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so Damn, like, I've seen that image of yeah. the tiger drinking the cocktail. Damn, I didn't know that's what it was yeah. from. So yeah. it's like, yeah, it kind of puts in perspective the type of like character we're talking about. Yeah, wasted opportunity. But yeah, that's kind of the thing, though. It's like it's not re- leaning into that kind. That's of... his best friend in the comics. He's like <laughs> yeah, in the comics like... all the time. <laughs> Because because there's a reference in Fury of the Gods to you remember when the little girl saves like a kitten or, or nicks a kitten um, oh, okay. in action scene, and and she says it's called Talky Tawny or something like as a reference to that character. That's the only Damn. reason it came up and was on my mind. That sucks. That's that feels like a huge wasted opportunity. <laughs> but could they have Damn, sold the that fuck? like with the tone of this movie, like oh, the CG no. talking tiger man? That makes me upset. Like, <laughs> that could be fucking sick. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's kind of the thing though. It's like it's it's not crazy enough. The villains that yeah, they got a bit of perilous intentions going on. They got the, the three sisters thing that kind of goes back and forward, and again though, it just kind of turns into the thing all of these superhero movies do, like the Black Adams or whatever, where it's yeah, the villain uses some kind of device or MacGuffin to make the army of blank appear, and then it like scares people. <laughs> and there's like a big fight this time the big fight is restrained to a, a, a simpsons movie bubble over a certain area yeah uh, I, saw, like I, a, I thought of that too it was like definitely <laughs> or like movie. a uh, like a shrinking battle royale circle yeah. <laughs> i didn't love that as like a setting strangely paced too like the way the story kind of builds and flows by the time it kind of turns into and settles into the the kind of climax being this big action set piece with the dragon, it just, I don't know, it doesn't feel like there's enough going on there. No. The dragon isn't visually interesting enough. The action scenes just are not, <laughs> they're not there. They're not good enough. All of, all of the fun action I remember from Shazam is when it's like utilizing the fact it is like a little kid in this body and the kind of fun hijinks and comedy that comes from that, like him punching a dragon. Like there's, there's not that much like humor from that to me, you know, they they even took out some of the awful dialogue they had like planned from the, the trailers relating to this kind of stuff where they clearly had to reel it back a bit with how some of it was coming across. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. I, I completely agree. The ending scene is just like, you, I, you, there's nothing to soak in there. The whole last like 15 minutes of the movie, like that whole action s- sequence is just like CG nonsense. Yeah. And I just didn't care about mm-hmm. it. But by that point it was like, okay, the movie's ending anyway. <laughs> so, like, it was just, it was pretty close to the end. At least it wasn't so gratuitous and stretched out to the point where it was like, Oh, you know, like I never found myself saying like, get me out of here, you know? It do, it does get gratuitous shortly after that though with the there's like a cameo scene which I thought was like so bad and like such a That's funny. insult to the movie uh, when oh, yeah? the woman shows up 
Yeah, I just, <laughs> I did. Was that? I guess that was supposed to be the stand-up and cheer. So that was in the trail, like one of the trailers or something. But I didn't see that, so yeah. it was kind of a surprise to me. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't. I've never seen the Wonder Woman movies, and so I just don't really have an opinion of the character. I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, they're there. Uh, <laughs> I just, yeah. I don't know. It, <laughs> it seemed, it seemed like another thing that was just like, well, yeah, this is a superhero movie, you know. <laughs> yeah, do that. I don't know, there was like a there was like a nice quaintness to that first Shazam movie. Like there there is like a cameo ending at the end where they show like Superman comes to the school, but they don't show his face, and it's like like that's the end joke. Whereas this is way more. She's here, everybody. Uh, yeah, we're gonna do a whole thing, Flat and it's out. gonna be a big. Yeah, and she's gonna be the one who revives him and everything, and it's like ah. Uh, this is just too too far. Good, we're rebooting this. This is just too much. This just does not work. This doesn't make sense. The way mm-hmm. the way this is crossing over. So you'll have Wonder Woman show up, but you can't have Shazam in other whatever. Who cares? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that is kind of funny. But again, like that, this is more or less, you know, just kind of like the what happens in the film, which I I don't weigh as much as the how it happens, I guess. By by all metrics, what we're describing in terms of like, you know, Wonder Woman showing up and like the, all this like production troubles and just a lot of things that really bog down the movie. By all metrics, like any other movie we would see like this, the directing would be a lot worse. There would be somebody that would have showed up on set and gotten yeah. frustrated by their lack of control in it. And they would have phoned the whole fucking thing in. But I love that I can watch this movie and still see that somebody actually kind of gave a shit. Despite all efforts to try and turn this into like a really shitty movie, somebody actually gave a shit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I, I still see the voice there and I still see that somebody actually tried, which is refreshing when you see a movie like this that somebody didn't just like kind of give up halfway through f- filming like you see a lot of the time, you know? It wasn't, it, the, the directing was not phoned in. I like that I can watch yeah. the movie and see that. No, it definitely seemed like the director was really into this and passionate about this, but it seems yeah. like, yeah, the, the the strings and the studio clearly uh, has something else in mind. Yeah. It, it like, <laughs> honestly, this, this could have been so much worse, <laughs> just given all of the, all of the issues that it has. It, it seemed like something that, you know, the way that we're describing parts of it, it seems like something that would just be an absolute disaster. And maybe some people are treating it like that, but I just don't see it that way. I see it as something that uh, is kind it's, of, it's you know, falling apart at the seams in ways, but it's still held together to some degree, even if there's, you know, the whole ending kind of sucks. But yeah, because what you asked earlier, like, where does this lie in the DCU? Because you know, when I was looking at the trivia, it says it's the twelfth film in the in the DCU. It's like, man, really? I, I don't know if I could even name those, but that's the thing that <laughs> we have see. so many examples <laughs> of these fucking films that it's like, yeah, this one, yeah, it's nowhere near the bottom as far as the worst that we've seen, but it's also just nowhere near the top as far as the good ones in my mind. It's in like the just, DC films, I think it's kind of close to the top. If we're talking about maybe purely if we're just DC talking films, DC, if we're just talking yeah, DC, it's pretty fucking yeah. close to the top. So it's weird to me that 
the conversation surrounding all of these other DC films, like people were not shitting on Suicide Squad as hard when that was like day one release. Like people were fucking hyped over that shit, you know? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it took a while for people to admit that they didn't actually like Suicide Squad. And so when I'm looking at this in like the greater context of all of these other DC films, it kind of feels weird that this one's being particularly shit on when you look at what all of the other movies are like, <laughs> you know? Like, holy shit, we got an Aquaman sequel coming out this year, don't we? Like, how the fuck is that going to happen? It is weird, though, because, like, when you see people discussing, like, DC online, it's like this splintered, <laughs> these splintered groups of, like, different DC fans all, like, arguing with each other, because there are people that, like, want that old Suicide Squad back and, like, hate the new James Gunn one and... They want the Snyderverse back, and they 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 can't stand what, what the direction they're going. It's like just I don't even know like what these DC fans want at a certain point, you know? Like I just, it's all this just screaming nonsense. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, but I I looked up like uh, it might finally be hitting. Like the you kind of said it earlier with the, yeah, the fatigue. The fatigue. <laughs> but it's what there's there's like a growing list now of what Black Adam, Ant Man, Quantumania. Shazam, Fury of the Gods now, Super Pets, all these like movies that are like superhero theme just not hitting the numbers they're expecting. And I think this is like the the biggest victim yet. Like people have been mocking it for how it's uh, comparing to I think it's Morbius. Like Morbius is outtracking yeah. Shazam, Fury of the Gods. That's sucks. <laughs> it, 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 it it is sad because like you see like I saw the director like tweeting i think i'm like done with superior movies now and it's like ah understandable it's sad it had to go this way yeah but yeah definitely understandable given i'm sure it's just yeah just hair pulling a hair pulling nightmare trying to work within this system yeah trying to be an artist within a machine right mm-hmm. <laughs> They're try- you're trying to have a voice Despite them trying to chip away at everything that you're trying to express and turn it into something And even else. that, yeah. And the greater industry decisions, like, just sandbagging your project. Like, what can you even do about that, you know? Like, the whole James Gunn thing, like... Yeah. It's just over. Yeah. Something that can't even really be controlled. Yeah. It's, uh... If this movie came out, like, maybe two years ago and just didn't have as many issues surrounding like it in terms of where it is in the fucking universe right like there wouldn't be as much creative meddling if it didn't come out right now i feel i feel like this movie could have existed as its own thing if it if it was just like two years ago but unfortunately Mm -hmm. it's coming out at a weird time and there's just so many different this whole the politics surrounding it like the internal politics of of this Mm -hmm. superhero fucking machine <laughs> it's just it it's hurting the film and so yeah despite that i connected with it am i gonna fucking you know am i gonna have the whole thing in my memory in like two years you know probably just certain scenes not not much of it but i went to the theater it was late at night i was expecting to be like fucking tired watching the movie i was pretty engaged no scene <laughs> dragged on for way too long it wasn't like oh get me out of here i'm trapped in this fucking thing you know, it had a decent flow and pacing up until the very end that where it didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had fun with it. I was I was entertained. It was a positive experience. And that's more than I could say about fucking most superhero films. Also. 
I will I will mention this. Some people are like, oh, Adam, you're only giving it a positive rating because uh, David F. Sandberg was on the podcast. Or it's like, <laughs> worst case scenario, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fabricate my opinions and be like, oh, I'm gonna pretend something to like something that I don't actually. Otherwise, if I was the type of person to do that, I would be doing that with a lot of other movies because I get a lot more shit for a lot of other opinions that I have that I do, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right? But I will say this, this is a really kind of funny thing to consider. I would say that there's more of a chance of my inf- my rating and experience of this film being influenced by the fact that I had watched the film 65 directly before it. I would say that that's more likely. <laughs> I would say that the best well, way like to watch it. any fucking movie is to watch the movie 65 before it. <laughs> It'll make everything else seem like a fucking masterpiece, I swear. Okay, so it's great in contrast. <laughs> 65 65 is a movie where you watch it and you're like every single basic piece of filmmaking I have taken for granted. <laughs> like you watch 65 and you're like holy sh-. like you ca- you can't even figure out what lens to use. <laughs> like you're not oh, you're no. not doing any of this. How do you make a movie so expensive seem so cheap? Why does everything look like shit? And then you, everything you watch after it, when you're like, wow, this is competent. And you start appreciating all the little elements even more. <laughs> yeah. I Unironically. The dinosaurs don't even show up for like 50 minutes or something. They all look stupid. <laughs> all the dinosaurs look fucking goofy as shit. Except for the ones that they showed in the trailer, obviously. But yeah, that's a, that's a horrible movie. Like goofy in like a, a good way or a bad way. I mean, like it's just a, it's a, 65 is like a straight two out of 10 movie. Like that's, it's, it's horrendous. So yeah, sure. You could, I'm sure you would find some humor in parts of that movie. I'm sure. But yeah, I do like dinosaurs. 65 was 40 minutes shorter than this film, but it felt twice as long. (laughs) It's so, it's, it's absolutely horrendous. And anything you watch after, you'll be like, whoa. <laughs> like, they they <laughs> really care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that there might there might be bias in terms of how I feel about Shazam Fury of the Gods, but if there is, it's because I watched the movie sixty five right beforehand. <laughs> well it's probably more like I think I've seen the majority of the superhero movies, whereas you kind of dance around a bit more, just jump into the ones that interest you. So maybe, I don't know, there's like, yeah, just a different perspective going on. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't go out of my way to see all of them. I will be seeing Aquaman 2, and I will be seeing The Flash. (laughs) The Flash, yeah. So. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, Oh, man. Like, I thought when we saw Ready Player One around that time, it was like the, the worst it could get with this, like, crossover, just like... We see a trailer for something and it doesn't even look like it's a real movie. But when I went to see Shazam the other day and it, it played that Flash trailer and it oh, looks yeah. like a, f- a fan-made YouTube video. Um, <laughs> yep. I'm just, yeah, I'm pretty hyped for that one now. That, it's just embarrassing. I, just, I think it's unethical for that to even be released. And so I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kind of like, this is like a moment in history that I have to be there for, you know? I, I kind of yeah. have to just be there like rainforest 2015 you know like it's just yeah. a, it's a part of no, our history <laughs> when the trailer began and it showed uh ezra like sitting there like people started like laughing in the audience like it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Soon it's done. laughs> uh, things are getting so funny all right uh so yeah i i had a i had a positive experience with this movie didn't blow my mind i'm giving it a low six out of ten 
it's closer to a five than a seven, but yeah, could have been so much fucking worse. And I, I do appreciate a lot about <laughs> the efforts of trying to hold this film together in ways that, you know, for, for a lot of the film did succeed. And yeah, despite everyone else trying to fucking ruin the film. Also, yeah, the acting was good. Yeah. You know, just like part parts about the filmmaking process, you can point out and just be like, oh, that's that's well done. Right. Even if the whole narrative didn't wasn't great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those films I find hard to get passionate about either way, which is almost the most frustrating type of film in a way. I'm just a smidge below you, like a low two and a half star kind of five, like Mm -hmm. right down the middle. It's, yeah, it's perfectly watchable. It's fine. I wasn't really frustrated beyond the kind of lack of potential that had been thrown to the side or just kind of the muddled way they decided to take it. Yeah, I just kind of wish it was a yeah. bit more quaint and and small. And every time it went out of that bracket into the big typical superhero, there's a dragon flying around and there's lightning everywhere in the bubble and there's just crazy Superman flying around. Like, I, I just check out of that kind of stuff. I like the quirky, just character interactions and the the more vulnerable side of the main character. Like, he does, like, very little in the movie. He's, like, quite mm-hmm. a static her presence i think just because it's so stuffed full of characters like the whole th- yeah the villains don't feel that fleshed out to me they no yeah there's all this like potential <laughs> flying around I, I really like that wizard character but again like there's more they could have done with that yeah it's, mm-hmm. it was just like i'm probably never gonna really think about or watch this ever again probably whereas sure. like, i'd happily watch that first movie again yeah yeah the first movie was a lot better and yeah again i just yeah i think i think it was fine you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't bad. And it's weird. It's it's funny being in this position because I'm, it, it sounds like I'm like preaching the gospel of this movie when actually all I'm doing is just trying to say, it's not as bad as all you guys are saying. <laughs> like, I'm kind of tr- just trying to respond yeah. to like this weirdly, like unanimously negative, like, like, is this really the movie that like everyone should be shitting on it w- compared to like all the other fucking DC movies that exist. Really? Like that's kind of weird to me. So yeah, if everybody loved this movie a lot more than myself, then I would be being like, Oh, it's actually not that great, but here we are. Everybody's kind of <laughs> yeah. shitting on it. You know, I felt myself doing that kind of with, uh, remember when Alex Garland's men came out? You know, yes. I like that movie a lot more. Than yeah, that. that was a controversial movie. Like, mm, yeah, yes, everybody's kind of like, really like that movie. shitting on it for no reason. Anyway. Yeah, it's just when you're dealing with fandoms, stuff just gets messy fast, you know, especially comic book mm-hmm. fandoms. Like, I, don't, I don't know what they want. All right, we have a film recommendation from Alex. I guess it's time. It's time, guys. Mm-hmm. I recommended The Prince of Egypt from 1998, directed by... Brenda Chapman, Steve Hickner, and Simon Wells. This is normally where you describe the plot, but it's a pretty one-to-one adaptation of the Exodus story from the Bible. So we're going into the these religious movies. Mm-hmm. It's part of the BCU. <laughs> the BC, uh, yeah, but this isn't like it's the well, Bible the, Cinematic Universe. <laughs> this isn't like No Passion of the Christ or. Uh, Anything like this or uh, Last Temptation of Christ that we did an episode on where there are Italian-Americans (laughs) pretending to be out there in the desert. This time it's Sandra Bullock pretending to be out there in the desert. (laughs) 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 Fucking what's his face? Life finds a way. 
Jeff Goldblum. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we got we got Jeff Goldblum. We got Patrick Stewart. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer, Val Kilmer, Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, the casting is weird. Yeah, it's the DreamWorks effect. They can pluck anyone. It's kind of like distracting at points. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that because like there was this. You know, it's distracting. There was a certain line that broke me and had me like just in a ball laughing. It was it was the Sandra Bullock character who has a line, something along the lines of, I've been a slave my entire life. And just hearing Sandra Bullock say that and that come, come out of her mouth was this weird like, <laughs> disconnect that kind of just like <laughs> didn't yeah. make sense to me and like really brought home like <laughs> how weird some of this casting is. It's like out of everyone you could have given that line, you gave it to <laughs> Sandra Bullock. Oh, okay. Because uh, of course, Bullock's. yeah, like we're dealing with, uh, I had to double check this too because here it's listed as a U for Universal, which is like the lowest rating. So like kids and babies can watch this, but this is like a dark, fucked up story. It has like the most horrifying details, uh, much like the story in the Bible does. But I'm just surprised it gets to be labeled a, a Universal over here. Is, is that the same for you? Like whatever the equivalent uh, rating is? Yeah, it looks like it was PG Canada and US PG. I think, uh, I mean, I don't know. PG seems to make sense. I think it's probably pushing it, but yeah. What else are you going to give it? PG 13? It wasn't like that. <laughs> no, no. But I, but I will no, agree that like, like there probably thing. is like a, you know, a bit of, uh, leniency given to religious movies, you know, like, Oh Yeah. You know, the pe- the people trying to ban books in, like, Texas aren't thinking the Bible, even though that's kind of a perverted <laughs> graphic and, <laughs> like, morally <laughs> reprehensible piece of literature. So Yeah, that is a, the, the, kind of the interesting thing about this movie for me, because I, I do have a bias, at least, that I can admit, this being one of my... I was like obsessed with this movie when I was a child for some reason. Oh yeah. Um, it's not like I was raised religious or anything. I was just drawn to this movie as a kid because I found it, yeah, to be like kind of wondrous and have a spectacle. And it's, the stakes did feel real and important. And yeah, there are like kids dying and frogs coming and people starving to death and violence and horror and yeah that felt like very real to me as a kid but i haven't seen it in like a very long time probably since i was like a kid so revisiting it was fun but also you see some of the (laughs) some of the holes a bit more yeah it's interesting because like i we get asked a question a lot something along the lines of what's a movie that you like a lot and appreciate a lot but don't really connect or care about or straight up like disagree with the the, the overall message or what it's saying <laughs> and this is one of those movies for me because i think i think visually the the animation here is like incredible it's from the the era where dreamworks was trying to compete with the the disney 2d stuff a bit more with your princess of egypt your eldorado and yeah they were they were being a bit more they're flexing the 2d minds and the and the detail they get out of some of these models and the just the design they went for it's so so fluid and clearly extremely expensive and you can see why they didn't yeah didn't really pursue it much more after this but yeah i, I that always drew i was always drawn to that detail of it because this this is a level of kind of detail that is rare i remember when i was a kid like i was being drawn to uh 
uh, Moses, he has like a staff and just, just the detail on that staff as he moves it around, like even though they're 2D drawings, it makes it feel like he's traversing a 3D space just with the angles of everything and the perspective is always perfect. And yeah, the character design and everything, it's, it's, it's pretty stunning to always look at. And that's when the film is at its best is when it is just visuals communicating with the, with that, that Hans Zimmer score kind of telling the story. Mm-hmm. I will say, so I appreciated a lot about the animation and I think that the animation looked great overall, but there's something that kind of, I guess, bothers me about it in terms of what you mm. were saying. It does feel like a big spectacle and I, that that's, it, it, there's a lot of scenes in this movie where that's kind of just what I get out of it is like, Oh, they're trying to show off. And depending on the movie, trying to show off could work out great you know if, if you're trying to show off and, and it looks like absolutely flawless then yeah but a lot of the scenes in this movie they're trying to show off like the the whole chariot sort of chase at the beginning like there's a lot of different layers in that animation and they're they're combining 2d with 3d as well and mm-hmm. throughout that sequence there's so many parts of it where the layers just don't really work with each other where like okay the proportion of the horse is like really weird and turning at a weird angle and you can clearly tell that it is cg with uh with 2d and you know four years beforehand b team at disney made the lion king the stampede scene you can't tell that it was cg you have to look at the special features after the fact to find out that it was cg and go like holy shit what and then it like opens your eyes about like how how masterful <laughs> the animation was and how everything flowed together and worked together as a whole piece. But I'm watching this film and there's so many different sequences where where I'm like, okay, you clearly spent a lot of money and there's individual animators with a lot of talent on here, but it kind of just, a lot of it just clashes with itself. And it doesn't, like, if I'm supposed to believe that, you know, we're, we're this camera going through this perspective or like that this is going, happening in a, in a, universe in this 2d universe like there's so many different things clashing against each other that i i just i found myself being reminded that it was a movie you know and just kind of thinking about mm-hmm. how much money they were spending on a given scene so it's weird <laughs> four years after the lion king which is just like such you know basically flawless animation yeah that's the thing though i feel like the lion king the lion king is more of an exception to the rule as far as like True. the seamless blend of cg and 2d because i remember even as a kid being bothered by like treasure planet when it's like Mm -hmm. that line between the 2d and the 3d being so obvious and it they don't really they don't tend to mesh together too well like they seem to clash and yeah there are a few scenes that 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 fall this way like especially early on there's a bit of a crazy kind of action scene almost with the the cg basket with the moses in like being swept away through the through the ocean and the river and there's like a big crocodile and boats nearly crash into him and everything uh yeah but it's like very obviously a cg basket and it does just pop in a way that doesn't look too great but i hadn't seen this movie in this kind of clarity mm-hmm. well i guess ever because i would have watched it on vhs so I, I was enjoying seeing like the the line work and everything how it was supposed to be seen mm-hmm. so i wasn't really i wasn't really noticing too many janky jerky kind of motions like you were saying with the chariot and whatnot I, I, I more remember where it does work where it does come together be it the uh the parting of the the ocean the parting of the red sea mm-hmm. at the end i think that looks incredible there's some great looking stuff in this movie for sure 
Yeah, that and, uh, you know, like showing the whole whale, like uh, just being mm. illuminated, its shadow being illuminated. That's really cool. The whole like burning beach, uh, <laughs> beach, uh, burning bush the, uh, sequence. The burning bush um, that turns you old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was cool. And there's a good choice of like lighting and colors and yeah, the environment they were in just looked really good. Yeah, I, I'm a bit more like mixed on that because I do see what you're saying, but yeah, I think for the most part, it is visually pretty, pretty consistently impressive to me. There's normally something going on, whether it be, yeah, just the design of the camel in the background or mm -hmm. the way a certain expression was animated. Like I had to Google if uh, some things were rotoscope because some of the motion is like so, so seamless and fluid. I was like, are they... Are they like mapping some of this because it looks mm -hmm. like so good some of the expression of it but i, I don't think it, it even used it so yeah late 90s was like the best time to have talented uh, 2d animators working in the industry right yeah it was the disney renaissance wasn't it yeah yeah i i, I agree there's there's things that i can see in the animation that i can pick out being like damn that's some it's a lot of talent that's a lot of talent looks really cool looks great but yeah, just I don't know. Unlike my my favorite anim animated movies, <laughs> I, there's also things that I that just I look at that I look at the movie and I'm like, wow, that's just clashing, or like that's not that great. There, anytime an animal was drinking water in this movie, I was like, wow, you didn't use a reference. You kind of just guessed <laughs> how that would look like. Yeah, it looks that was, like that was awkward. one of the worst shots actually. Yeah, um, now you mention it, there's like. There's a sheep right next to Moses as yeah. he's like drinking out of the trough. <laughs> and it's just like a, a looped, uh, yeah, a few second loop, which yeah. is weird because like other sheep in the background of other shots that are much smaller, less consequential, did have like all custom animation that wasn't looping. So it's like, what? that's quite weird how that fell through the yeah. cracks. There's some weird shit. There, that's not the only moment of the film where there's like obvious loops. There's, there's a few in this film. It, it's just kind of weird. Mm. Yeah, and it's, yeah, not to devalue the obviously talented talented animators working on the film, but just that not everything came together in a way that it should. And it feels weird, especially because this is like, this very much speaks as a competition to Disney sort of movie. This this very much yeah. breathes the the energy of we're trying to be Disney. We're trying to be better uh -huh. than we can be Disney too. And I always kind of like, I don't know. There there's some DreamWorks animation stuff that I love, but I always kind of feel weird when a movie feels like it's trying to do that. Mm -hmm. You know? Where it's just like be yeah, your own yeah. thing. Like Puss in Boots was its own thing. Mm -hmm. Like Ants the Bugs Life. It's kind of defined them for a while, to be honest. Yeah. Like, especially early when they're trying to find their their voice, their angle. And then they found it through parodying the other side. That yeah, that always seems like that would be much smarter of an approach. To be honest, is to like maybe do the opposite of what they're doing because then you're not competing in the same space and you mm -hmm. could do something a bit different and stand out that way. But whatever. Yeah, because it it didn't wind up really working out for them that well. Like the movie made money, this one, but I think just over time, like, if you're talking about Simbad, El Dorado, there was just yeah, it all just kind of crumbled with the. Um, what was the Toad Disney movie? The really kind of forgettable one. Uh, <laughs> Over the Hedge? Was that Disney? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, the, the 2D one, uh, the oh. Princess and the Frog. Princess and the Frog. I'm thinking of. Yeah, that was like, yeah, that was where the stake was put in the ground. It was like, yeah, we're just kind of 
not going to really do this 2D thing anymore, mm. I think. We'll just stick to the successful Shreks and the big Frozens and stuff like this. Did you happen to see, because when I went to buy this on iTunes, I saw it was like bundled with another movie, which I didn't recognize. One called Joseph, King of Dreams. Yeah, is- I didn't see that, but I, I knew, <laughs> I, I, you know, you look at the poster and it's like, from some of the creators of the Princes of Egypt, <laughs> or whatever the, the word from a couple of the guys, use. yeah, yeah, yeah. From some of the <laughs> it's friends, like a Ben Affleck led, <laughs> a kind of loose sort of sequel or something like yeah, it's like a kind of similar art style. It, it, it's it like the, yeah, it's like the Lion King two like directed yeah. DVD type <laughs> thing. <laughs> but for Prince of Egypt, yeah. So shout out to that. Yeah, we'll watch it someday. Maybe maybe you'll put that on my watch list. There we go. It's on my watch list. <laughs> it's, it's only like an hour long. So. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good sign. Very nice. <laughs> We haven't mentioned the musical side of it then, because yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is going for the the Disney, you know, the musical angle. So there is a yeah, the Hans Zimmer score that we already mentioned. How do you feel it comes together as a soundtrack to what you're watching? I loved the opening song, and I'm glad that they brought it back at the end. I thought that mm. uh, "Deliver Us" is a very powerful track and yeah, yeah. sets the stage really well for what you're supposed to expect and yeah it's just very that's one that actually sticks with me musically like i was able to just pull it and just be like oh that's what the song was like and then everything in between kind of just very forgettable in my opinion yeah there are a couple here and there i like but for the most part they're either kind of too short or yeah it feels like it's almost like a first pass at something like it it needed this movie just needed like something else going on because just just being like an adaptation of the Exodus story, it's like not quite enough to like wrap it up as a nice package because it's not really what the characters you're really like invested in. Most of what happens in the story is just thanks to God basically being like a superhero who can like do anything <laughs> um, and like, uh, yeah, will move most conflict who forward. Who can do anything, but decides to do particular things for no reason (laughs) (laughs) yeah so when you start applying that kind of logic to it it's like well it's not really me personally i'm not really watching this for the story that much it's more yeah not at all music hits when it lines up with the visuals it's yeah a production side to it that i I appreciate more than yeah it's kind of what i was saying earlier like i don't really (laughs) like like what is the film saying outside of what the, the the story in the bible is saying you know where it's like yeah, you got to channel God, you got to live through God and live for this thing greater than yourself and find peace in that. But it's like, that's not really how I personally view things. So yeah, for me, it's yeah more about the music. And yeah, I do think the scale does work for it. Um, I do think it does feel big. It feels like the material matters and that it's in awe of it and that it does yeah exist in this kind of important feeling space. Is there a DreamWorks movie that takes itself more seriously than this one? That's a good question. I don't think so. No. I think this might be the one. <laughs> With, yeah, I guess the excuse being that it's biblical, so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, they wouldn't want to seem like they're mocking someone's faith, so they have to, like... They have to make it, like, a lot more yeah. serious and take itself a lot more serious. Like, I just... I think part of the reason why I don't love this movie and sure, I I love aspects of it and I can very much appreciate the artistry that went into it in a lot of different elements. But 
part of the reason why I just don't connect with it on a personal level is just like it has this obnoxious feeling of just taking itself so seriously and then also just not living up to how seriously it takes itself, you know? Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what it, it feels is the to best me. and worst thing about it. Yeah. They're, they're like, yeah, they're trying to balance these things that kind of don't make sense. Like they have Steve Martin and Martin Short as these. Yeah. In any other like traditional Disney kind of movie, would uh, they'd probably be like quite a big part, you know, as the little comic side characters. Mm-hmm. But they're, yeah, they're just. <laughs> They're there, and they cast them for some reason. They've got their one kind of musical number, but yeah, neither of their strengths as like comic actors are really used. Not at all. I don't really know why they're there. It's way more about just R- Ralph Fiennes and uh, Val Kilmer. That's kind of like the heart of it yeah. to me. The the classic tall, skinny villain and short, fat villain duo. <laughs> but they're not yeah, really yeah, used in the movie that much. You're right. Like they kind yeah. of. Just, they exist there and then you kind of just forget about them because they're not really important and they don't really change the course of anything in the movie. <laughs> yeah, they're not really characterized. It's all kept very simple, you know. It's yeah. You gotta free the slaves and that's kind of You gotta the free the slaves bit. because eventually you learn that slavery was bad because you find out that it was your own people. And you were like yeah. before you were like, Whoa, slavery was like kind of based and then you're like no, slavery is bad. It's, those are my people. Yeah. What? And you look at like that giant mural that's ostensibly been there your whole life. And you're like, they're, kill- they're killing babies, bro. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was tons of baby death. <laughs> it is. It's so weird. This movie. It's so it's difficult for me to take seriously. And it makes it more difficult for me to take it seri- seriously because it's trying to be so serious. Mm. If it was more shit posty, which it can't be, it can't be because of the subject matter. It's just weighing itself down by being like this, like yeah, the source material that will offend like fucking all of America if you don't handle it with the utmost respect. And then it's just like, okay, well, you're kind of kneecapping (laughs) your own project in that way. Then you know, Mm. like I loved how we talked about another, you know, those other religious movies, Last Temptation of Christ. I loved that it offered its own perspective and i love that it tried to say its own thing and even within the context of like the biblical story it was telling it still fit in in into the biblical story it was just a different take on it and so so you know that's evidence alone that you can still take biblical stories and make something really special out of them you know and you can still have concepts like god in a film and have it function in the narrative and i can watch that and be like okay yeah there's a god in the universe of this film and it, it, it it's fine and it makes sense and i understand what it means to the characters narratively and and what it means thematically and how it helps me get things out of the film and then i watch a film like prince yeah. of egypt and i'm kind of just like you know it's kind of a bad story <laughs> it's, it's kind of, i like the animation <laughs> It's some good animation for the most part, but it's kind of a bad story. <laughs> it's kind of a shit story. <laughs> you didn't really, you didn't really utilize the story in the Bible to tell a good story. You kind of just like made a summary of it, and you played the greatest hits, and you were like, "Whoa, dude, burning bush! Whoa, the plagues!" Like so this is the original like soy boy Marvel shit. Is just seeing all this stuff from the Bible, right? <laughs> like, yeah, basically, they parted the Red Sea, but like none of it flows properly together. You're kind of just like going on the checklist, and by the time before you know it, like the, the movie's just over, and you're like, okay, 
It's because, yeah, you don't really care about it from a character perspective because it is, yeah, it just it's moves so quick. Too. It's more interested in just, yeah, exactly, just the nature of what they're adapting. It is more just like, yeah, the, the songs are kind of a shorthand to montage past a bunch of the stuff that happens in the, the story. And yeah, it's funny what you say about the tone because um, one of the three directors is actually one of the directors of B-Movie. So it's like... <laughs> nice. Kind of a... <laughs> A, a, a switch there imagining that yeah it is a little bit all over the place in terms of that kind of kind of stuff it's just yeah excessively dark which i guess is just what drew me to it as a kid so much because yeah you don't it doesn't feel like mm. you're being infantilized with how yeah yeah it, it felt like it, it felt important yeah if i was younger and i i mean i did watch this when i was younger once i wasn't obsessed with it in the way that you say you were but there were scenes yeah, that yeah. i watched and i was like i remember having a genuine emotional experience to like the part where the you know firstborn son their souls get sucked out or whatever that was handled in a pretty pretty uniquely dark way for a, a kid's film because a you know death b there was like no music during that scene and it was kind of like hunt it was kind of like yeah. a horror scene yeah but then you know like then that's that's great artistically but then i always kind of have like a little bit of like I'll, i can admit i do have like a little bit of resentment towards creating propaganda for children yeah that's where, <laughs> where i was kind of where told. like fear literally is used as like a, a tactic yeah you know because no, that is that scene in particular is horrifying it even yeah. ends with like the landscape shot of the city with the the screams of the parents like echoing yeah. in the background it's like that that is horrifying and i and i watched this sh- the when i did watch it when i was younger i think it was it was 100% at church and i think it was like a part of like a the youth right. confirmation <laughs> thing and the fact that they were like showing it to us and like you know the the text alone of the bible or the church experience alone isn't enough you have to like manipulate children with art forms you know yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it it is kind of annoying and th- th- this film is you know <laughs> propaganda <laughs> in a way uh-huh. yeah yeah that's the thing you like you, you can't really get around that you know like <laughs> that just is what it is from like the first word put down on the page that's always what it was going to be yeah what it can be yeah. yeah you can still appreciate the art within it you know you could you could call a lot of films yeah films too and and i guess because of it being aimed at children it isn't like a uh last temptation of christ type situation where it's it actually kind yeah. of explores the more complicated themes in a way that as an adult you can find a lot of value in yeah it is more of like a kind of like a montage of one of the more well-known stories from the bible yeah is what this movie is i think it's a little fucked up to use like that kind of imagery in the context of like oh if you don't do what god says he's gonna fucking kill you like that like that's really what you get out of it as a child if you're religious especially watching it in a religious setting yeah it's it's really just kind of using fear tactics to you know manipulate and groom children into a lifestyle yeah that's what i say about like the core of the story being like man yeah i guess what i've learned is that i need to fear god because he's willing to he's willing to take out firstborns if you don't yeah he's kind of an asshole uh, kind of bent to his <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so it is, it is a bit that's probably another thing i liked as a kid where yeah it just felt like 
this is this is frightening. This is truly scary. Uh, what is being shown to me right now? So yeah, yeah. it's effectively it's, on children. I find it. I found it kind of interesting. You know, they go through like all those plague things, and that was like treated as like a like a montage too. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of just like wham, bam, bam, like all this like horrific imagery for children. Of just like you want this to happen, yeah. <laughs> like, like it, if this was fiction purely, like that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a really different context. But like presenting this as reality to children is kind of fucked up. <laughs> presenting that as as like a reality <laughs> and showing them like families being torn apart and like plagues and like just death and like oh well you know they just didn't pray hard enough or something like that presenting that as like a real thing to a child is really fucked up it's it's really fucked up it's difficult to get past that yeah yeah it definitely is it makes it a weird movie and i know like people say this all the time and it's like a meme that people say this too much but like would they make this now like all the slavery imagery, like how just how brutal it is. Like I, d- I don't know if they would really go for something like this now. Like, could you imagine DreamWorks like next week? You know, they just drop like a full CG. Like it's another hardcore story from the Bible retelling. Like yeah, <laughs> this seems like a very much nineties. We're talking about the story of Job this time. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I just can't see it. I guess we just got to leave it to Darren Aronofsky pretty much now with his his mother's his Noah's and he can he can channel the Bible through his fucked up lens but DreamWorks ain't going to be doing it anytime soon. Let's see if I got this right. I just want to remember if I <laughs> if Job is the right character I was thinking of. There's a there's a Bible story where like I I think Satan challenges God and he's like, "Yo, I bet your most loyal follower would not think you're cool oh where he just, just tortures him if you suffer if you torture him enough i bet that he would not believe in you anymore and then god's like well <laughs> game on bro and like, yeah he just like ruins his yeah, life right just like <laughs> kills his family and like ah uh, like just <laughs> absolute eternal torment and suffering like forever and he's like i still love you god and then god's like see bro he's like a real simp like point proven yeah, yeah. and then god's nice like one, god. hey, yeah. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice try, Satan. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. <laughs> I might be I might be uh paraphrasing a little bit. I might not have gotten the exact quotes. But yeah, that would be a cool thing to show to kids, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, why not at this point? <laughs> yeah, so judging it on it so let's just imagine that this is like a fictional story and we're just like judging it on its own then. Yeah, that's how I was trying to kind of watch it. The story kind of sucks. <laughs> the story kind of sucks. Yeah, that's the thing. But, but that's the inherent issue, right? Where it's like that it is adapting a thing that we know and it's just like part of culture and we all know the story. So it is like weird, like, yeah, what, what should they have done? What would have improved this, like from this angle? I mean, yeah, like you wouldn't you wouldn't write a story like this unless you were trying to replicate some ancient text be- before stories were good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what they needed to do. People are like, how many fucking adaptations of Pinocchio? You know, like Pinocchio kind of fucking yeah. sucks. You have to go against the source material <laughs> like Guillermo did to make a good story out of Pinocchio. 
Yeah, or flesh out the right things. Because, like, yeah, it's not really the characters you're left thinking about. It is purely just the scale and the visuals combined with that music. Like, there really is not much more to chew on. So maybe that was it. They needed better characters or something. Mm -hmm. It it, it does sit strangely, because I I just, like, searched just DreamWorks movies just to see a big list of them. It is very odd compared to the rest of their, like, filmography. Yeah. You know, there's, like... Some like whimsical, clearly childlike entertainment, you know, for a lot of this. But then you look at this and it's more, oh, you got, yeah, you got the slaves, you got the yeah. <laughs> pushing women off, uh, drowning women, uh, drowning babies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, an experiment for sure. Yeah. Which, yeah. I still kind of like it. That's the thing. I just can't detach that kind of childhood connection i have with it though mm-hmm. so I'd, i would not blame someone for not really connecting uh beyond that yeah i'm I'm glad you enjoy it and yeah there's there's parts that i do enjoy i'm just like as a narrative like as a film like i don't know <laughs> it's it's difficult to take the whole thing seriously like independent of the religious text yeah yeah like if i'm just trying to you know watch the movie i'm like fucking what's his name Ramesses what an idiot so like in the context of the universe there's a god and he's sending like fire tornadoes at your ass and you're just still like I'm gonna go get Moses (laughs) and you're still like chasing (laughs) at her I'm like you surely you're convinced that god can do some things to you like right now right like you just he killed your son (laughs) stop being a fucking idiot yeah was that supposed to be like the point of that uh, where he turns his staff into a snake and he like doesn't really believe he thinks it's like parlor tricks or something? Well, no, because he think they think that there's like multiple gods in the universe when there's only one. And that's part of the whole thing. Like there's only one God, which is like a very drilled in Christian sort of uh, yeah, thing yeah. that they try to drill into your head at an early age. There's only one God. Every other God is fake and this one's real. And so that's a part of the <laughs> the message. And they show... The two, you know, little sidekick villain characters doing the whole like, oh, you can just put some red powder in the water and that will make it blood. And so I guess Ramesses is being tricked by these other guys (laughs) into thinking that like, oh, no, his gods are real, too. And they're also just as powerful and more powerful than Moses's buddy God. Okay, yeah. See, that would have been more of a dynamic already if you like, if you use those comedic characters to, yeah, be like tricking Ramesses. So, yeah, there's a more of a dynamic. Well, they did. On. They just kind of, they kind of showed it, but like briefly, and it, then then it kind of just brings up more weird kind of like fucked up morality in the sense that like, okay, well then, in the context of like Ramesses, like he doesn't yet. He believes that he <laughs> that there's other gods, but then these other two dudes, why are they they're just like tricking him for no reason because I guess they think like they'll be killed if they don't produce results that he wants. So it's like, okay, these other two sidekick yeah. characters, they don't believe in the other gods. So like they should be like pretty convinced then at the other miracles that they're seeing, right? Like the fucking the, yeah. the firstborn sons in all the village also the fact that like you have to do the sheep's blood sacrifice and do that on the door for like everybody that doesn't oh, the want their firstborn yeah. son to die it's like who is responsible for getting the memo out to everybody what if everybody what if you knocked on the doors <laughs> all day and you're like yo you gotta like 
You got to like put some sheep's blood or else your firstborn son's going to die. What if, what if the person in that home wasn't home that day? Surely just by statistics, somebody didn't get the memo and they didn't put sheep's blood on their door and they got goofed, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's just God's divine wisdom, man. You just got to trust in him. I feel like God should know what's in someone's heart. <laughs> and not have to, you know, check the door. <laughs> I feel like I feel like there's some yeah, weird shit about this character. The way they like visualize when he comes for the children, yeah, like he's like this kind of ghostly dust that ascends or descends from the sky from this like portal and it like goes around checking each door for the lamb's blood yeah, it's sniffing around <laughs> it's, yeah it's like when you say when you verbalize that it's like crazy it sounds insane but yeah that's the story yeah you you wouldn't write it if it wasn't just a part of an ancient <laughs> text you wouldn't put it yeah. in a <laughs> it would seem stupid no, <laughs> so yeah i just what else is there to say about it? Like the only other part I can think of is the. Were you attached to any of these uh, like two D DreamWorks movies from this era? Whether it be El Dorado or yeah, Spirit, I have. I do Sinbad. have positive memories of Road to El Dorado. I watched that a bunch of times when I was younger. I, you know, if I'm trying to remember the film, I can pick out more scenes from my memory of when I was a child watching that film that actually stick with me. I can pick out more scenes from road to El Dorado than Prince of Egypt. Yeah. I definitely watched El Dorado a lot more. Prince of Egypt. All I remembered was just like two parts. Yeah. It's way more fun than what you'd expect from like a 2D yeah. animated kids movie. I don't remember spirit though. I was big in Sinbad too. And also than- that was an example of DreamWorks kind of being their own thing and not trying to be Disney. Like the the brand of the style of humor and like it not taking itself too seriously, like that was a bit more tongue in cheek and how the characters interacted with each other. It was like like a little bit closer to Shrek than to fucking The Lion King, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I maybe that's part of why I I feel like it works better. But you know, I could watch it again as, as an adult. I don't know. Spirit, not great, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't. I guess the last thing I have to say is I know like animators, they're like horny, they're a horny group of people, right? But uh-huh. the, way, the way the way it would as, come as out as our human beings, two D dream. Yeah, yeah, but like man, some of these, some of the the way they choose to animate some of these scenes. Yeah, bringing up El Dorado or some of the characters oh, yeah. in this movie. They're like, you, you can tell they had fun with those ones, you know, like they spent a bit of extra time mm-hmm. just uh, polishing that walk or uh, that pose or whatever, like that some of the other characters do not get. It's not quite as bad in this movie, but like there's just straight up like, like a blowjob joke in El Dorado. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah a bit, El Dorado edgy, a bit, like, <laughs> has some parts that are a bit <laughs> weird, I will say. It. Like that, there's some weird <laughs> yeah, sus shit in El Dorado. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Some things that didn't age too well. No farting and shit like that, though, at least. I will say, I forget the character name in Prince of Egypt. There was, like, a female lead who, like, her... The animation on her hair was really, really great. Like, that... You know, like the way that it flowed and like the physics was of it, it. Was it Michelle Pfeiffer or Sandra Bullock's character? I, I want to say it was the Michelle Pfeiffer, the one who gets married to Moses. I think right? so. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She has some insane animation. Yeah, touched her. There was some great animation with it, and also, I don't know, the female characters in this movie were kind of just like they didn't do much. Yeah, they did nothing. <laughs> they were kind of just there to yeah fill the quota and not really do anything. Yeah, yeah, kind of just show up and disappear, just kind of forget that they're a character. Yeah, say something insightful and leave. Yeah, bye bye. Yeah, I. Uh, if this is your favorite movie ever made, power to you. But I'm giving this one a five out of ten. Yeah, I like this a bit more than you. I see your issues though with it too. I'd give this more like a low seven, low three and a half star. I I can get enough enjoyment from just throwing it on. It flies by for me. I don't know if that's just a mix of like nostalgia and getting those childhood memories flood back with uh, each frame. But I also, yeah, I was appreciating a lot about the production of it as an adult. It's just the inherent nature of what you're adapting where things get a bit more complicated and confusing. And mm-hmm. I don't really care about like what it stands for, or what it's particularly trying to say. But there's a lot of good moments in it, a lot of good visuals I remember. Mm-hmm. And it makes me pine for the uh, the 2D era that to be back in that renaissance. Didn't realize how good it was uh, to, until it was gone. Yeah, I would love more 2D films. I would love more 2D films at this point. Yeah, they just can't figure out a way to make money on them. One thing that I forgot to mention is, I guess, just like we talked about like the weird casting. I mean, mm. none of the performances were like anything special either. If we're talking about like voice acting as like an art form, I could just pick a random Disney movie and be able to pick out voice performances that were more like, oh, you're doing a character and like, the, you know, you're transforming into the character. You know, like I don't even need to reference The Lion King <laughs> for that one. Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of just pick up it like Toy yeah. Story, Finding Nemo, like any one of these things. It's like, oh, okay, you, like you're really transforming into the character and you're creating something out of it. Whereas this just kind of felt like people talking. You know, I think that's what was so funny to me about Sandra Bullock just voicing yeah. this character. And just like, like it didn't need to be, <laughs> you know, it didn't need to be Bullock or Pfeiffer. Like it didn't need to be. Um, it just, yeah, there was a disconnect with the material and the, the acting there. But whatever. yep. All right. Sorry to disappoint everybody. I know this movie has a lot of stands, but uh, yeah, you can still stand it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Enjoy your Egypt movie. Yeah, I also do appreciate it just, yeah, where it sits in that filmography is odd for DreamWorks, so it's fun to talk about. Yeah, it's a very unique (laughs) part of their filmography. (laughs) Yeah. All right, question time. Okay, let's do some questions then from the Sud on a Cast community. Head over to the suggestion thread on the subreddit where you can ask us whatever you feel like, just like KookieArt8862 did, with a bit of a quandary. I was wondering if you guys have ever experienced losing your love for film. If so, what do you do to fix it? Because recently I've begun losing mine. Ever since I was a kid, I was always known as the movie guy. I'd never stopped talking about them and saw older films that no one in my class had seen except my teachers. I would see at least two movies, movies a week, but now it's a miracle that I see one a month. I tried joining a film group where we'd talk about a movie, but felt like a fraud due to them talking about movies I'd never seen or heard of when everyone else in the group had seen them. I especially felt this way during my Oscars watch, where I watch ever... Oh, some of the way this is written is throwing me right <laughs> off. <laughs> Oscar watch, where I watch every best picture 
before the ceremony, but besides everything everywhere all at once, Avatar 2 and All Quiet on the Western Front, every other movie had left no real impact on me. Like a wave crashing at the shore, eventually leaving no trace, it was even there. This has been really bugging me since I feel like I'm losing a part of my identity and would like to know if you have any advice, as I always admired you, you guys' knowledge on film. Thanks, and sorry for the long message. Yeah, I feel for you, Kuki Art. It's never much fun. I've never had this happen with movies, but I've had it with like other mediums, mm -hmm. like games or... Sometimes music, I'll go through like phases of like really, really be just listening to music like crazy, 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 mm -hmm. and then have to reel back a little bit. But yeah, that's quite a quandary when it, you feel like it is wrapped up in your identity. Like, have you ever struggled with that? Like, it would be kind of a huge <laughs> issue if you uh, woke up and didn't like movies the same way. Yeah, I, I haven't had an issue with that. But I mean, like, there, I can understand, like, if other things in your life are things that you spend time doing then that i mean you've just made different priorities or maybe you need to not work as much or something you know if it's like it, it i don't know it's it kind of seems like the problem solves itself if you want to fit more time to do it you can do it more you just have to mm -hmm. take away time from other things and if you don't want to take away time from other things then you know so be it those are so, yeah that's the decision you made who are you doing this for? Because it's like, what, are you just trying to do it because you're known as the movie guy? Like, if that's the only reason you do it, that's, yeah, that's not going to be sustainable, is it? Um, and you are going to yeah. crash. But so <laughs> don't feel bad if, like, it's, if you're not connecting with stuff at the moment, like, maybe take a break and in a year and a half, you will suddenly get some kind of crazy itch and then jump back in. Like, there's no, you know, time is a currency, you know, like, you get to choose what you do with it. But yeah, don't, don't feel bad about it. Here's my advice. Stop being a movie guy and just become a Sardonicast guy. And then you can shame yeah. other people for not having watched the recent episode <laughs> of Sardonicast and be like, what the fuck? You're not the Sardonicast guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can just like pretend that you've seen movies and just ape uh, YouTubers opinions. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's always a choice you can go down. I've always wondered like what it would be like to try and bullshit and tr try and talk about a movie pretending you've seen it, like talking about specific, like, I wonder how vague you could get, you know? Yeah. No, <laughs> this is a great minds think alike moment because I've always, I've always wanted this exact same thing. And I was like, I, I, I reckon it wouldn't be that hard to like make a fake channel and mm -hmm. just not see any new movie that's coming out, but just kind of steal like the odd sentence here and there from yeah. like, certain reviews. Just so like like, it opinions. would not be difficult, <laughs> like not even seeing a single one of these movies, but just like collate like a bunch of like loosely linked stuff and then just present it as if it's yours. Mm -hmm. Like I, re I reckon that would be easy. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what? You could get an AI to be a movie reviewer. And I think that they would actually do really well. <laughs> I think that they yeah. would do really well because a lot of people really just want to hear their own opinions expressed back at them. And so a lot of yeah. really popular channels are like, oh, yeah, this movie that everyone loves, it's great. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. and then it's like, well, I don't know. In my opinion, like, I don't I don't know what kind of like service you're even providing anymore. If like there's nothing if you just have the opinion of just the box office. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like on tomatoes or yeah, any of it. Yeah. You know, not saying that person shouldn't exist on the platform. I'm just, I just don't get anything out of it personally. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about that. I feel I am convinced that you could do like AI movie review channel and it would do very well. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. That's basically like what Watch Mojo already is. You know? <laughs> so one step away from it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like, yeah. That's the other thing too. Like, just in the space of us doing this podcast, this all this AI stuff is now just it's just here. Like, that's just the conversation. Now. Love it. Like, AI is just intrude. Like, that's how, that's how little amount of time it took for that to start intruding into like. <laughs> True. Artistic spaces and conversations. I, I think that's just going to get crazier and crazier. It's like it was already before this stuff. Like when you see questionable posts on social media, it's like, yeah, that's probably not real. I'm not even going to oh, yeah. think about that ever, ever again. But now it's like just every image you see, every video you see. It's like, I, what even is reality anymore? I can't Hell even yeah. like, get a good read. I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> it's, love it. love yeah. a good challenge. Challenge my reality. <laughs> We're going to up uh, the difficulty no. on life. <laughs> yeah, it's hard mood. Well, uh, Elf Shigringo says, One day <laughs> I asked a Facebook group about what's failing about Hollywood films, and I shit you not, the most common answer is forced inclusiveness. I knew it was Do you guys woke. think about this dumb answer <laughs> as a legitimate reason? A, a legitimate reason? No. I think that that's the answer people give if they're only watching the most popular movies that exist. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, <laughs> you need to expand your media diet is what I would say. Yeah, definitely. Cause if, if like, if every time you hear about a movie is like the little new little mermaid and that you just don't watch other movies, then it might just seem like, Oh yeah, every movie's bad. Cause it's woke now. <laughs> right. <It's> like, <laughs> there's, there's a yeah. lot of other movies out there. A lot of great movies that are also woke and still good. <laughs> you know, whatever you yeah, want to call it. I guess it. it just, yeah, depends on the space. So I, I guess, I guess it was stranger for like superhero movies to have like a diverse uh, cast or whatever you want to, what these people complain about most. So yeah, that, I guess that does stand out more to them. Whereas like, who's complaining about the forced inclusiveness of everything everywhere, you know, like, I guess there are some people probably now that I say that. Yeah, but, but yeah, really, it's just... To me, that's a, how you do it, you know? Like, it's not, it's not yeah. an issue. It's not like... <laughs> that's never really been an issue. That's never... I've never left a movie thinking that, like, oh, there's been... It's, the forced inclusiveness really, yeah, really that, held this back. That was the one problem with the movie. Everything else would just, just great. <laughs> Every, yeah. Everything about the new Little Mermaid looks perfect, except the black person. <laughs> yeah. Every, every that's other how, creative that's how the decision they makes made. it sound. Where it's like, yeah, this new Little Mermaid. Yeah, it would be great if it was just someone with a different skin tone as the lead. It's the one so thing. The one thing. <laughs> yeah, and everything yeah. else looks perfect. That's how the complaining makes it sound. The lighting. Yeah. The design of Sebastian, like, that looks so fucking amazing, bro. Like, yeah, it's a really weird <laughs> excuse to give when you say it like that. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and speaking of that, did you see that? How, how creepy, like, the Sebastian yes. and the, the talking <laughs> seagull. <laughs> <laughs> they're making, they're unintentionally making these awesome horror movies. It's amazing how I'm still able to be, get, like, a reaction out of it because I'm expecting it. I'm expecting it to look yeah. like a fucking monstrosity, <laughs> and yet they still manage to like make it so bad that I'm like, 
what? <laughs> like, it's like, oh man, the fact is coming for ah, just the, the pure irony of it being Disney though, like the whole the, the visual side of it being like yeah, the foundation the of the company. Disney anymore? Like, what are they? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they stand for aside from just making loads of money and owning things. You know, like at least in the nineties, it was like cool, heartwarming stories that like looked really good and pushed. Pushed the limits of like what you could do with 2D animation, and they were always like pushing for something. But what this hyper realistic crab and talking seagulls like this is they've gone too far. It's please, please, guys, just stop. Mm -hmm. But going back to the force inclusiveness complaint, the one positive it does have is the if I hear that brought up in a review or a clip or whatever, I just know that I don't really need to engage in the whatever I'm listening to that much more. It tends to be quite a vapid complaint. If that's like one of the biggest things that's bugging you about a movie. It's reached a certain point where it's like the, the complaint just seems like kind of incomprehensible. Yeah. It's like, what are you actually saying? Like is the problem with Velma actually the fact that they changed the races of a few of the characters or is there something else going on? You know, like it's like such a surface way to engage. Yeah, I think that there's a lot more to the property. It's like, I think even especially considering how dog shit these movies are, to focus on that makes it even weirder <laughs> because, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. they're so bad in every other aspect. It's like, okay, well, then how is that the one particular thing that stands out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was there was like a point yeah. in time, you know. Where, like, these things were starting to happen where you could almost kind of, like, give the argument a little bit of credibility where it's like, okay, you know, like, they're just remaking this and, like, oh, why can't, you know, make, make an original story with these characters? Isn't that kind of infantilizing to women to just have girl Ghostbusters? Like, I could understand where the argument yeah, was coming yeah. from at a certain point, but now it just seems, like, so lost in 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 the conversation yeah. it seems yeah where the conversation settles is always like the least productive this is just screaming match like just culture war bs you know like it's never <laughs> never anything productive as soon as correspondents from the daily wire are using it to get clicks you know that there's nothing <laughs> there's, there's yeah. nothing what substantive the in there anymore like every time a trailer comes out it's like oh matt walsh is gonna talk about a little more i'm sure you know my favorite media influencers ben shapiro <laughs> my favorite ben film shapiro reviewers about last of us talking about yeah all yeah this shit like <laughs> yeah yeah, that does show that something's been crossed over now that they feel yeah. they need to jump in. It's like when politicians start doing the Rick roll, you know, like it's done. <laughs> Just... oh, yeah, yeah. When they start whipping out Pokemon Go. Yeah. Yeah. We've taken it too far. We need to go back. Yeah, reel it back a little bit, guys. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's do this one from Space Ghost Killer 22. <gasps> Hey there, Sards. What are your thoughts on parasocial relationships on the internet? As someone who's watched YouTubers such as yourselves and many others for years, as well as many podcasts, it's always a bit odd of a thought to me that I've been listening and watching so many personalities to the point where it feels like I've known them for many years, even though I'd like to think I'm well-adjusted enough to understand that I clearly don't. 
I know the internet can be a great place to find any kind of niche community to be a part of, but I also sometimes wonder how much of these YouTubers, streamers, and podcasters just become friend simulators to some viewers. Not blaming the creators themselves, of course, but just would like to hear your perspective, or the perspective of someone on the other side of it. Do you find yourselves having a parasocial relationship with any creators you watch slash listen to? Thanks and keep up the great work. I mean, usually if I get to the point where I'm feeling parasocial about another content creator, I'll just like DM them because I have that privilege <laughs> of of just being another notable person on the internet. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a bit of the advantage you get. So I feel like maybe to yeah. a degree, I do have a bit more of a, like a window into someone's life about who they are as a person than you would just from consuming their content without talking to them. But I would argue you don't truly know anyone even if you've met them in person to some degree if we want to get really philosophical right you only have a window into someone's life no matter how close you get to them it's never going to be a real reflection of a person to an accurate degree the only way to get a true understanding of a person is to be the person right you only understand yourself and even then do you understand yourself do you have an inaccurate version of yourself right But I guess uh, if we're going to talk about like, I don't know, the ethics of creating content that is like inherently parasocial, I feel like I am one of the more (laughs) parasocial streamers out there because I just share everything. And I do like, you know, I know that there are people watching my film watch alongs that are just looking for like a social experience. They want to watch a movie with somebody. And I've Mm -hmm. seen the comments of just like, hey, thanks. I wanted to watch a movie with someone. and, And this kind of feels like it. I think that it would be maybe crossing a line if I was exploiting that in the way that, like, I don't know, DMs on OnlyFans do, where, like, someone pays for a service and you pretend to be, like, the friend experience, the girlfriend experience or something like that. I feel like that's a little weird, and that kind of exploits a vulnerability in in people. But in terms of myself personally, like, I just feel like, you know, I'm a person that doesn't want to feel as though there's anything that I shouldn't be sharing. I, I feel like, you know, just my experience as a human being, no matter what part of it, I should be able to just share. And if people connect with that, they can connect with that. If people don't, they don't. And, you know, it, hopefully the version of myself that I put out to the world is the most accurate that it can be. And uh, I guess to to a degree the people that consume the most (laughs) of my content will understand me better than the people that don't consume any of my content or consume very little of it or only watch one channel. You know, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Like, like the, the person is there, but you, you still don't technically know me. You don't truly know me. And I would hope that people that understand me well enough would, know better than to be like oh therefore i'm his friend by watching my content like you you know set set barriers set parameters like that's not i don't make content for children (laughs) so uh, that doesn't really Mm -hmm. happen i haven't found myself (laughs) being like i've never had an issue with like weird creepy stalkers or people like i've maybe had something like almost kind of like Someone were trying to meet up thinking that they know me and i'm like okay no well if you truly knew me then you'd knew that i wouldn't want that there you go, right? Bazinga. Yeah. No, it does get complicated with stuff like that because I have had bad experiences with that kind of thing. People being like yeah. creepy who I think from their perspective, they perhaps don't realize they're crossing some kind of boundary. But then sometimes I wonder if 
these people are drawn to doing it simply because I, I am, I'm kind of the inverse of what you're saying, where I lean much more uh, kind of private. Mm -hmm. I like having like this, this harsh divide. Um, I like being able to, that's something I kind of uh, find important for me. But yeah, it does create that weird gray area where, yeah, if, you, if you're withholding certain things, like especially when I never showed my face or anything, that, that creates like a fun little game for people. Yeah. You know? Then it becomes like a challenge, especially if you ever address it or talk about it in any way, then yeah, then it does become a challenge and people do get creepy and they find like phone numbers and call people it just get really weird. But then, yeah, it does go back to this inherent parasocial dilemma where it's it doesn't mean nothing. You you do learn and can learn a lot about someone by listening to them for tens, if not hundreds of hours. Yeah. You're going to pick up certain things. You're going to learn things about them. You're going to hear these anecdotes about their lives, build even just like uh, you know, the, their cadence, their vocabulary. The, yeah, they, they will stand for something in your head if they've just been that much of a part of your life for that long. Doesn't mean you know them personally, but you know something about them. And that's something I find interesting, like interacting with people who like know your content and you obviously know nothing about them. So in these instances, I'm always way more interested in trying to like play catch up and like know something about them. Cause it's like a, an uneven dynamic where it's like, I feel like you, you've had oh, a window yeah. into something that I don't have of you. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny because like all my content is spread out throughout so many different channels and different things I've said or different, you know, variate. I, I don't talk about like, super personal things on my fucking film review channel, right? Like, but there's other yeah, yeah. avenues where I do. And so if somebody knows me or somebody, somebody recognizes me or somebody like reaches out to me, or if I'm like a guest on someone's podcast or something, I always have this weird thought in my head. I'm like, how much do you know? Like, <laughs> which, which yeah, ones yeah. of my things do you know? Like, are you, are you up on the lore or are you just like kind of you'd see someone who's like relevant to conversations on the internet and you just want to have me on your podcast because I have yeah. a million subscribers? Or are you in on the fucking lore? Do you like <laughs> like how much shit do you really know about me? So that's always fun. Something that I've actually uh, realized in the last like couple months, or I get I guess I've always kind of known it, but I've more come to terms with it and it's relevant to other things that I I, I guess are part of conversations that I, I'm having is I've always kind of felt throughout my life, I've had this issue with just feeling like so alone and misunderstood and disconnected from the experience of everybody else. And I think that a part of mm. expressing myself through art, through music, what I put out on the internet, and then also just the amount of myself that I put out there and the unflinching like you know, I want to put out the real version of myself. I don't want to be a fucking character. I don't want to be a product. I want to be me and I want to put yeah. that out to the world and I want other people to connect with it. Part of the reason why I do that is just because of, you know, having grown up and just feeling so alone that I wish that I could have seen someone else with an experience similar to mine or with thoughts similar to mine or, you know, like goals or ideas or just feeling similar to mine and that I was starving for that. And I feel like you know, offering that to the world, not only am I helping other people that might feel alone, but I'm also feeling mm -hmm. less alone by doing that because I'm finding connections with other people just by putting myself out there yeah. in a true and real and honest way that isn't just like some fake persona. You know, the, the more you that's in 
the art that you put out there, the more people are going to connect with you by connecting with your art. If they're connecting it with it on a true, genuine way that feels personal to them. Yeah, it's really fascinating to think about. It is something that people in this space have to kind of consider at a certain point, like these parasocial relationships and the inherent question mark of responsibility yeah. that comes with that. That was something I never anticipated being like a thing when I first came into this space. It makes was like sense. How much that would affect. Yeah, yeah. It's just a natural consequence. But when you're like, you know, a teenager and you're getting into it, it's not really what you're thinking about. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. what responsibility or impact are the things I say are going to actually have? It's more, yeah, you're not looking inwards as much. I've, I've heard people talk about like parasocial dynamics from content creators in a way where like the morality of it, like people can use it to exploit other people. You know, people can use it to manipulate and like gain others' trust and like take advantage of people. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there is that element of like, okay, someone who is less moral than me <laughs> could could be using <laughs> this in like a really, really bad negative way. And we've seen it happen many times with other content creators. There's yeah. like people that would like use that to like basically j just like steal money from people and be like, Oh, I need like 5,000. Like mm -hmm. they would yeah, like scam DM someone like part of their mod team or something and like ask to borrow money or like, yeah, there's a lot of like weird shit going on there. And so I try to be consciously aware of it, you know, like I try not to like overstep any boundaries and still be like moral and ethical about, you know, despite me putting out so much of myself that, you know, inevitably someone's going to connect with me in a way where they feel like they truly know me, but they don't. But maybe, yeah. you know, maybe they know me better than my fucking parents do at this point. You know, my parents don't watch mm -hmm. all my fucking content. It's possible. You know, yeah. <laughs> like may maybe they know me better than a lot of people in my personal life that think they know me. Like no one really knows me. Right. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, so if, if I go on like a Twitch stream, a lot of, a lot of the times me putting myself out to the world and just talking to people that are listening to, to people that like me enough or my content enough that they're there and just watching me live, I feel a sense of catharsis and just being able to, to vent. Like I find it very therapeutic to be able to like talk about my problems and talk about things uh, that are personal mm -hmm. to me and have, you know, maybe not everybody in my fucking Twitch chat gets it, you know, maybe they don't get me, but there's enough people there that have heard me talk enough that I can kind of feel like comforted by doing that, which is also difficult because, you know, then there's people that aren't leaving comments. There's a, you know, a fraction of people that are hate watching me and getting ready to make a clip or, mm -hmm. you know, if I expose a vulnerability about myself, they're getting ready to use that. So that's always difficult. But you know, it's it, to me, I've always kind of seen it as like a, a two way street or kind of like a um, mutually beneficial kind of symbiotic thing. Right. Like I'm not hmm. I'm not a person that's just trying to be like, hey, hey, yeah, I'll get more loyal viewers by by being more parasocial. But I'm just somebody that's like, you know, I I I find a connection <laughs> with like I feel more comfortable with these people that, you know, may just be pieces of text, but maybe I've seen their username enough. Like, you know, they're not my friends to some extent, but, you know, maybe some of them are. Like, it's it's weird. It's weird, and it's like the line mm -hmm. is just as blurred for me as it is for them. <laughs> it's like I'm as much of, like, a victim, if we want to call it that, to, like, this weird social phenomenon as someone who might be watching me. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Only it's, made it's, possible it's, through it's complicated. The technology, yeah. 
it's no, it complicated. Is complicated. And I feel like we're still learning so much about yeah. the ramifications of what we've made. All we can really do is kind of just navigate this uncharted territory and try our best. <laughs> try mm, our best to yeah, like not mistakes, hurt people and not, out, yeah. you know, do something unethical. And yeah, just still navigate it still be unique you know i kind of like to just be my own person so i'm not going to do exactly what everybody else does but yeah and yeah i mean like I, i'm sure you've had this too but just like over the years sometimes sometimes people just use your dms or your email as like a just a place to vent some people just like <laughs> they just like tell their whole like yeah. life story sometimes and it's just like it's not even necessarily about the details of what they're saying but it's more just they found some solace in venting somewhere and I've had people like four or five years later after they've sent some crazy email be like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm sorry about <laughs> how intense these crazy messages were from back then, but I was going through something and I just yeah. needed to put it somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, this is inherently complicated and really, really crazy, but it's also part of what I think was alluring about it and what is fun about it. Yeah. Like there's, you know, to, to the extent that people watching me don't really know me, like I don't really know them either, but I can, you know, if I'm mm -hmm. my, my community is not like so big that it's like XQC that I, you know, where the chat doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean anything and I can't even read it, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like I could still, I could still, you know, in these live stream scenarios, I've got a good, I, I, I think, I think the size of the audience is good enough that I, I can still feel like I'm interacting with people on like a more personal way that, you, you know, even though it's like the dynamic between the person streaming and the audience is obviously like the yeah. power dynamic there is like just m massively shifted. You know, someone pisses me off, I ban them or what, you know, like it's not, <laughs> um, it's not like an even thing, but it is interesting because yeah, I find myself sometimes wondering like, what's that person like, you know? Mm -hmm. Like a username and chat. I'm like, yeah. I don't know what they're like. I wonder what they're, you know. And but and then just from from like interacting with these people enough, sometimes I'll learn things about them. Like, oh, okay. Like, I know their gender. I know the country that they live in, or you know, mm -hmm. like just some some shit like that. It's like, yeah, the, the the parasocial nature of especially live interaction is just kind of an inevitable thing, you know. I prefer, yeah. I do my editing with people fucking watching my live streams because I feel like it's a more social interaction for myself. I feel more comfortable doing it because I feel like I'm, I'm doing something social. Like that's just me on my end, mm -hmm. right? So if that fills the same niche for them, then good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was All right. a good, yeah, that was a huge one. Good answer to that. All answer. right, I guess that yeah. should be the last one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we went in. Yeah. Nice. Okay, sweet. We've got a recommendation for the next episode, but I was thinking we could do something really crazy and just take what we recorded as the recommendation from the last episode and Ooh, use that in this yeah. episode. So Ralph was here last episode, and we're going to have past Ralph <laughs> talk about his recommendation <laughs> that we're actually going to use for the next episode. And then I guess we'll cut back to this, and then we'll, I'll do the just say bye. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I'll send uh, Ralph and I'll say bye. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, go. Oh, shit, that means I need to recommend a movie. What's your recommendation, man? What have you got for us, um, man? Let me pull out the list here. Do-do-do. So, I will recommend... 
Uh, ba, ba. What's that? <laughs> no, that's not the movie. <laughs> let's do. Let's do Alien. Oh, oh boy! Yeah, okay, original Alien. Nice. Yeah, from 1979. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen this. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Sweet. Let's do it. All right, we're back. Thanks for the recommendation, Ralph. That's a great one. Yeah, I mean, whoa, Alien. If you don't want to be spoiled for Alan. <laughs> by Ridley Scott. <laughs> See it before the next episode comes out. These episodes comes out. These episodes come out every two weeks, but you can listen to them early if you go to Patreon.com/slash/Sardonicast or go to Sardonicast.com and sign up for premium. Premium. It's only two dollars a month. Either way, you get to support the show and feel good about yourself. Actually, so there is something we should add. We have a bit more time now between episodes. Yes. So we're gonna watch Alien One and Two. I think that that makes sense to do. Because yeah, people are yeah. always comparing those, Might right? Might as well. You can't talk about the first eight. Like, a lot of people yeah, will yeah. want to know, like, you know, which one do you like more? So it's like, I kind of feel obligated to watch the second one anyway, so. Yeah, I think it'd be good to do. All right. Have a happy Puss in Boots. Just have poos. a happy. Have a happy Poos. Poos Just in have your a happy, guys. Yeah, have a happy. <laughs> True. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.